What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? How does our theology inform that journey? These are big questions, but we believe that they're worth exploring. Recently, we just launched the Good Lions School of Discipleship out here in Yukon, Oklahoma. And at the school, we aim to combine practical discipleship with deep theology. We actually have two different classes that we run each month. One is a theology class and one is a practical discipleship class. Our goal is to help young adults follow the way of Jesus and to learn to love him with both their heart and their mind. That's why I'm thrilled to have Professor Gary Brashears with me today. He's a fan favorite of the show. He's my professor. He's a well-known theologian with decades of experience. And this is part one of two episodes with Gary where we dive into this subject. And I'm just excited. We're going to talk about all kinds of stuff. We're going to talk about what even is discipleship, what even is theology, why is theology important to discipleship. We're going to ask the question, what happens when theology is neglected in the process of discipleship? And also, how can we avoid the problem of letting our own pet theological leanings get in the way of how we disciple people? We're also going to hear from Gary about the really interesting and hard subject of working and serving together with people that you have theological theological disagreements with. It's going to be a great episode. I hope you enjoy it. Let's start the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Good Lion Podcast. This is your host, Aaron Salvato, and I'm joined with my friend and now I can say truly my my professor, Gary Brashears. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to have you under my thumb, Aaron. <laughs> yeah, man. I, <laughs> it, it's, it's been a huge blessing to be learning with you and in your cohort. You've been on, this is, I think, your fourth time or third time on the show. I think you're our most repeated guest on the show. We wow. ha- we haven't had you. What a privilege. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a privilege to have you. Uh, we haven't actually had you on I think since 2021. We we just we we ghosted you and ignored you for 2022. <laughs> I apologize, uh, but I, I think we you know released an episode from the archives, um, the one that we did on the mechanisms of salvation. But man, I'm so glad to have you here, Gary. I mean, you, you need no introduction, but I'm going to introduce you anyway. You're a professor of theology at Western Seminary. Can you break down everything you teach there? Like, what what are all the different classes that you teach and courses and things? That would take the entire podcast. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll skip that. The simplest that. way to say it is I teach students, and we often talk about theology and Bible and life. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love but that. But I have a, I have my spiritual warfare intensive coming up in June this summer. So some of your listeners are looking for a class and want to do it live. They can do it in Portland, June 13 through 15 here on campus, and that that's that has been a class that I taught literally all over the world. Awesome. I would love to get a hold of that because that is a topic that that could be a whole nother episode. That should be a whole nother episode. We can dive into that. I, I'm going to be a part of the class that you're doing in Tulsa, Oklahoma next yeah. year. And I'm very excited about that. If anyone listening is in the Tulsa area, come join the class with me and we can hang out and yeah. get lunch with Gary and uh, it'll be a grand old time. Gary, I, I'm so thankful for you being here because in this episode, I really want to get into theology and discipleship. Like, what is the connection between the two? And so to start out with, like, let's just ask some really basic questions. Can you define, like, what is the Gary Brashear's definition of theology and then discipleship? 
Uh, theology is the standard definition is thinking God's thoughts after him, hmm. which is way too limiting because it makes it a purely <laughs> cognitive kind of thing. Hmm. So I want to add on to what I'd like to do is say seeing the way, seeing the world and myself the way God sees the world and myself and then living the mission that God has called me to in a way that advances his kingdom. Hmm. And that's the heart of theology. So it's understanding. It's understanding God, his character, his kingdom, and it's his mission. So it's not just information to know. It's information that then leads to action. Is that kind of what you're saying? It has to lead to action or it's, it's doctrine mm. and it's sterile and it's deadly. Mm. Uh, wallowing in unlived truth is the worst thing ever. Mm. But that's common for people who say they're studying theology. Mm. But if you do theology in the right way, it transforms your heart, your mind, your spirit, your soul, your body, your person, and then you you join the mission of Jesus in in wise ways mm. is the goal of theology. I love that. And I love that especially like from the guy who co-wrote the book called Doctrine. You know, you're <laughs> uh, indeed. Yes, we did. <laughs> you're you're, yeah. you're reminding us that uh, you know, doctrine in itself is not a means to an end. It has to go somewhere. I think that's beautiful. Right. What about discipleship? What would be your definition of discipleship? Discipleship as a process is living with Jesus such that his way of life becomes my way of life. Mm. His values for doing life become my values of doing life. And I learn wisdom on how to get that life done. So I have not just a goal, but a, a means and a method to get there. Mm. I love that. That's beautiful. That's setting the stage for everything that hopefully we will talk about. ask you this. I, I want to start with a personal question. Uh -huh. Why does theology matter to you personally? Every Christian has theology. Like even if you don't really call it that or think of it that way, if you grew up with Christian parents, they imparted some theology to you. If you got saved and because you read a Gideon Bible in a hotel, like you, you got some theology, you know, if you grew up in a church, you, you've got some of your pastor's theology absorbed into you. But my question for you is, you know, like not all people commit themselves into a disciplined study of theology and, and this quest to understand it and know it and learn it. So wh why did you go that route? Or route. <laughs> what? Okay, this is another question. Is it route or route? I don't actually know. I've been, my wife and I have been debating uh, that for years. In this context, it'd be route. Okay, why did you go that route? Why did you study theology? Why do you teach it? Why do you think it's important? I, I discovered early on as a math teacher doing that at Faith Academy in the Philippines, teaching missionary kids and trying to figure out what is the right way to handle sin in my life. Mm. That's been, that was a long, long time question of mine is how do I deal with the sin in my life? And that, uh, that's theology. It's called sanctification. And what I discovered, I had been taught and, uh, and bought it deeply into what's called Keswick view of theology, mm. which is let go and let God living the spirit controlled life, die to self, those kinds of things. And I was trying to make it work and it just wasn't working. Hmm. Okay, what's wrong with me? Why isn't this working? Great saints, Hudson Taylor, great saints had done this and done it successfully. Why was it not working for me? Hmm. 
that's theology, is trying to understand what is, what is the nature of sin, how does the Holy Spirit work with us to overcome that sin, and how do I live a Christ-like life? That's all theology. Hmm. And it's discipleship, too. So you you were looking at your life and you're trying to walk with Jesus and there are methods that have been given to you from, you know, a certain faith tradition and you were hitting right. walls. So for for yep. you it was like, okay, now I've got to go deeper. Uh, yep. I mean, are, are is you, this me just being a jerk? Is it me being lazy? <laughs> is it me being misdirected or is there something I'm misunderstanding mm, mm. and have bought a way of wisdom that actually isn't God's way of wisdom? Yeah, now, now what I'm hearing you say isn't necessarily even the methods from that tradition that you picked up were wrong. So it's like, now I've got to go find what's right. But it was more of, I have a lack of understanding. Like, there, right. I need to understand this more and wrap my head around it more and get a more holistic view of it. That's correct. Hmm. I did my high school, earned my living on during the summers, work on a ranch in Albuquerque, New Mexico, basically a hay hand. <laughs> and learning how to stack bales of hay successfully so they don't fall down and I don't fall down, that's a way of wisdom. I'm picturing now, you in a, a sim- cowboy hat with like blue jeans, uh, boots. I, I did, not a cowboy hat exactly, but I always wore a hat because even <laughs> a lizard is smart enough to get out of the sun in Albuquerque, New Mexico. <laughs> Love it. And I absolutely had jeans and heavy stuff, gloves and all that. Hmm. But the thing it is, I, to do that successfully, I need to learn a way to do that. And that's a simple-minded thing, but living the Christian life, there's a way to do it, and there's a, a way to get there, and that's what theology is, is what's the goal, and how do you get there from here? How do I get there from here? Because it's not an abstract thing, it's about me. Mm. And you can get in all this stuff about Trinitarian models and all those kind of things. <laughs> But if it's if it's just an exercise in abstract philosophy, it's deadly. Yeah, man, I lo- I love that. To to me, the the verse that comes to mind is the the idea of loving God with all of your heart, but also with all of your mind. And yep. and, and where I've come to with it has been thinking of it as this quest of knowing and understanding yep. and, 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 and I think of that and living and, li- and yes, living. Yes. Wisdom for life too. Yeah. Don't leave that out. It's relational. Like my relationship with my wife, like when I married her, I did not absorb every piece of information about her. And so I'm on a quest to continually understand this woman and to understand what makes her tick mm-hmm. and her heart. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and so, yeah, I love learning about her. And in the same way with God, I mean, Gosh, I remember when I was a youth pastor and I was a pastor's kid. I was the typical like at 17 years old, you know, I went to a private Christian school and at 17, you know, after hearing, uh, you know, Evan Wickham, my youth pastor, you know, his middle school sermons and my dad's sermons and, you know, just everything I learned at private school. I was like, I know everything. I understand it all. It's just that that total stupidity. And then I became a youth pastor and immediately began to understand how little I know. And I was kind of coasting a lot of my sense of humor, (laughs) uh, where kind of there was this unhealthy balance in my sermons for youth ministry, where it was like half theological content and then half stand up comedy and then a little bit of discipleship application. And and God just convicted me (laughs) and was like, what are you doing? You don't actually know anything and you need to start learning. And. Um, right. It was literally guys like Evan and, uh, and a few other guys who started going to seminary 
that began my theological journey because I, I call it secondhand seminary where I was learning the stuff that they were learning secondhand, yeah. you know, through them. And I just was like, wow, God is so much more complex and deep than I could ever hope to fully comprehend. And that, that mystery is beautiful. Like it, it gets me excited to learn mm -hmm. about who this God is that loved me so much that he died for yep. me, you know? Yeah. And that your, your marriage analogy is, is a biblical analogy to our relationship with, with God, with Jesus. Mm. And I, for a successful marriage and sharing are almost at 55 years, uh, it means I need to be a student of my wife and be revealing to her. <laughs> I don't have to worry about being revealing to God in, in one sense, because he is omniscient, but another sense, I have to reveal myself to him in an act of confession so that the Holy Spirit can speak into my life and transform. Mm. And again, that's theology in action. Gary, let's dive into some specific questions. And these questions are going to be broad. You know, I'm not going to get okay. super in-depth here because I want to give you room to really answer from, from your heart about this stuff. So I want to just talk about the importance of theology in discipleship. So let's say, you know, this show, we have young Christians trying to follow Jesus. We have leaders trying to follow Jesus and trying to disciple others. And so... How would you encourage, you know, people who are trying to walk the path of discipleship themselves, people who are trying to lead others on the path of discipleship, and, and maybe the emphasis can be just on the practical? Why would theology be an essential tool in the process of discipleship? That'd be my first question. Uh, to give an example, if my picture of God is he is a distant creator, hmm. kind of a deistic view of God, I will serve him in a certain way. I won't serve him at all, actually, because he's way out there. If my view of God is that he is a really angry, righteous dude who just waiting for me to screw it up again, hmm. I'm going to serve a different way. True. If my piece of God is he's the, the sentimental grandfather who just thinks I'm the most wonderful thing that ever walked on planet Earth, I'm going to serve him a different way. <laughs> if I see him to be the Exodus 34, 6, 7, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, faithful, loving, forgiving, just God, I'll serve him a different way yet. Who he is, is so critically important. And that's the, that's the heart of theology, of course, is who is God and what is he really like? Mm, I love that. Yeah, I, I, think, I think that so many of the hurdles that come to discipleship stem from fundamentally a misunderstanding of God. I feel like yeah, that that is the sure. root of so many things. For I sure. you know, I I see some people where their what discipleship looks like for them is just like, man, I've got to I've just got to serve. I've got to just just drain myself just getting involved in church activities and every time I sin, I've got to go and repent again and I mean, I, I let me rephrase that. Repentance is good, but but it's like I've got to not just repent, but I've got to go get saved again. I've got to go forward at the altar call again. And to me, that is fundamentally a misunderstanding of God and his character that is leading to that kind of Christianity that is not necessarily living with God, but living just for him and under him. Right. And then, you know, the, the, I see other people, man, there's, there's a few people I know, you know, former 
Christians, former pastors, my heart just breaks for them. And they're, they're going through that very public deconstruction process right now. They've left the church. They've left Jesus. And now every Facebook post is just like, I can't believe that a good God would do this. I can't believe that a good God would do that. And it's just, to me, it's like, this is at the core of why theology is important. We, if we're going to follow God, we need to understand him. Yeah. And if you have a picture that everything that happens is what God wants. And if, you know, if, if I have some terrible tragedy in my life, then God has failed me and he's not worthy of anything. Well, there are other possibilities. Failure comes from our dumb actions, our sinful actions. There's an enemy called Satan that's very active in this world. Mm -hmm. And it may well be that Satan is blame shifting to God. And again, that's theology is what is the relationship between God and other wills. We call that providence. Mm -hmm. How close is God control the universe? That'll have a huge difference. If I see myself just a pawn on God's giant chessboard, or if I see myself as a free agent in this confusing world, of course, I think both of those are, com- are wrong, but how I see the way God works with this world, that's providence, mm. and it's critically important question. Your entire way you relate to God will depend on how you view what we call providence. And like I said earlier, we come with a pre-given picture which comes from my mommy or my first <laughs> discipler or maybe some podcast I watched yeah, uh, right. It, who knows where it came from? Ah, and then once we buy that, we shape our life. And the question is, is that the correct way? Mm. And that's where I think we need to have these conversations firsthand with people re- in coming from different views with Bible open yeah. to see which view accounts for the most biblical data with the fewest difficulties and then make be as close as I can to the way God actually reveals himself. But that requires the help of other people to get there. Yeah, and that that really, I think, is is the quest of theology and discipleship, is if I'm following Jesus, I want to follow him as accurately as possible. Right. And, that, and that's why for me, like, I've come to a place where I can respect people from other traditions. Like, I've talked about many of the times on the show, I'm I'm not a Calvinist. But I have friends who are, and we've gotten into these great, like just long over coffee and a sandwich with Bibles open, these, these, these deep dives into the differences in our view. And it's like, okay, at the end of the day, I can respect you got to this place because you take the Bible seriously. And I also want you to understand I got to my place where I am because I take the Bible seriously. And so it's like, you know, even though we're at different conclusions, we're both trying to follow Christ as best as we can. And that's, that's different than somebody who just is like, and this is very big right now in kind of the progressive circles is like, I just want a God that fits my idea of what a good God would be. Right. So I'm going to throw out any of the Bible verses I find problematic and just embrace, you know, I, you, you totally, you, I, I'm assuming you're referencing this Lewis quote uh, when you were talking about the grandfatherly God, but I just want to quote it because it's so good. I just used it in a sermon mm-hmm. a few weeks ago, but he says, we want, in fact, not so much a father in heaven as a grandfather in heaven, a senile yes. benevolence yeah. who, as they say, like to just <laughs> see young people enjoying themselves and whose plan for the universe was simply that it might be truly sent at the end of each day. A good time was had by all. That's so good. You know, it's just <laughs> this idea of it's a, it's the other side of misunderstanding God. You can understand him as yes. the angry Zeus fireball wrath and destruction nonstop God, or you can you can view him as the God who just wants everybody to have a good time and nothing matters but yeah. love, man. 
And what I find with so many today is God is the disappointing one. Mm. And I'm just constantly disappointed with God. Mm. And that's why, you know, why should I serve a God who's so disappointing? Yeah. Like he doesn't live up to our standards that we've created yeah. for what we yeah. want a deity to be. Yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. How do you help disciple people through that? Well, my base method is let's open our Bible, read it out loud. Let me ask you a few questions hmm. and see if your conception of God is what shows up in this particular passage or story in scripture. Hmm. Uh, and then if it's not, where where's the problem? Because if, if you're, to me, it's an absolute sin to talk about God with your Bible closed. Yeah, wow. Or I think it's unhelpful to talk or think about God with your Bible open by yourself. Mm. Mm. Because I'll just, I, I won't see my mistakes unless I have somebody saying, well, wait a minute, what about that? Mm. Theology to be done in community with Bible open with the Holy Spirit powerfully at work. Yeah, that's that's really good. The the idea of the the necessity of where does that authority come from? Does it come from who we want God to be or who God actually says that he is? One one discipline I've been trying to do just as a preacher is whenever I'm preparing a sermon and I get really fired up about something I want to say about God, I mm-hmm. I I try to ask myself do you know for 100% certainty that this thing you want to say about God is coming from scripture or is it something you picked up from another pastor or a Facebook post or a blog or something? And so I, I, I've been trying to just, just check myself a bit and just, you know, do a quick search to find scripture that, you know, not just proof text, but like actually in context supports the statement I'm trying to make. And it it takes more time, but I think it's better than giving people a faulty theology. Oh, yeah. Now, where's that in the Bible? My favorite question. <laughs> mm. Well, Where's that in the Bible? Oh, it's there somewhere. Like, okay, where? I thought your favorite question right. was good guy or bad guy. <laughs> 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 that is, uh, we, we, me and my friends in your cohort are always joking about that. Like, there, there needs to be a book by you coming out where it's like, just g- g- good guy, bad guy by Gary Brashears. Yeah. And just go through every biblical character and assess, are they a good guy or a bad guy? <laughs> And that's part of that observation, what's actually there in the text before I start trying to interpret what it means to me. Mm. <laughs> yeah. But yes, that's one of my famous questions. I love it. It causes us to think, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's good. And that's what we're talking about. Um, yeah. Cause we tend to assume somebody's a good guy or a bad guy. Just got in a big fight. <laughs> well, not big fight. Got in an intense conversation at our preaching team yesterday over whether Peter in the gospel of John's a good guy or a bad guy. Mm. Mm. I think he's a great guy. <laughs> And a couple of the guys say, no, he's a wuss. He's a denier. He's a, he's a flake. No. And it got intense. It was very fun. Well, okay. Here's a question I've been wondering about this specific concept, just to take a quick rabbit trail. But I mean, don't you think that many of the biblical characters fill the role of the hero and the villain throughout their story? Like it, it... I, I don't think they fit the role of villain. They do fit the role of a learner. Mm and sometimes a failure. Yeah. They're rarely the good guy and the villain. Right. They can be the good guy and the and the failure. Hmm. I think. But good guy villain those are I think those are those you, you can't be both at the same time. Right. Yeah, when I, when I say being, bad guy I or villain I think what I mean more is yeah, what you're saying failure. Like yeah. I, I see several times throughout the story where you have somebody who on paper should be acting as the good guy but then they just mess up right. and do something. 
terrible, which is yeah. really uh, relatable well, for, for David Christians. and Bathsheba for crying out loud. Here's yeah. the man after God's own heart, yeah. really righteous dude, and suddenly he's raping Bathsheba. Like, what in the world? Mm. That's a whole, yeah, that's a whole discussion. Hey, everybody, this is Aaron from the future, and I just wanted to stop and record a small insert because as I was editing this episode, I realized this would be a good place to just pause for a moment and provide a little bit of nuance. So my professor, Gary, just casually threw out a grenade <laughs> that has to do with a massive theological debate that's been going on recently. And it's over the subject of David's actions towards Bathsheba and whether or not they would be considered rape. Some people believe that what David did to Bathsheba could be considered rape, while others argue that it was consensual. The debate centers around the cultural context of the time and the power dynamics at play. Now, I want to be clear, at this point in the conversation, I almost stopped Gary, not to challenge him, but to just get him to break down the nuances of this debate because there are a lot of different factors and beliefs and that's something I think Gary would have done a fantastic job walking us through but I just we just didn't have time and there were other things we had to get to in the episode so it's the kind of thing that perhaps we'll do an entire episode about it's a really hard subject but I think it's worth diving into you know I'll just share very quickly from my own perspective where I've sort of landed on this personally I believe that the power dynamics in the situation between David and Bathsheba are evident David was the king Bathsheba was not in a position to refuse him without fear for her life however there are theologians who lean the other way and we want to acknowledge that as well ultimately where I lean is that scripture is silent on specifically what happened Bathsheba could have been forced, she could have felt pressured or threatened for her life, or David could have seduced her. The scripture doesn't exactly tell us what happens. So it's a debate worth having, but for any of you guys listening who might be shocked at what Gary said, maybe you grew up in an environment where at church you never saw David's actions towards Bathsheba painted in a way that could be presented as non-consensual. I just want to say even though my position is that scripture is silent on it and it could have gone either way. If you're shocked by the possibility that David could have done something that terrible, just stop for a minute and remind yourself that David committed adultery and then had the woman's husband murdered. <laughs> uh, that's a pretty big, serious thing. All that to say, this is a debate worth having it's not going to happen on this episode, but we want to point it out and make note of it and say perhaps it's something we'll dabble into in the future. But for now, let's get back to the episode. Let, let me ask you this. What, what do you think happens when theology is neglected in discipleship. So when a church is trying to do a discipleship program, but the focus is more just on the practical without getting into necessarily the, the why behind the what. I, I think the problem is in observing a false God. Hmm. And instead of serving the true Yahweh, the triune God of scripture, we end up serving a lesser God. Hmm. So there's a 
there's a book that was famous back when I was a kid, before, long before you were born, called Your God is Too Small. Mm. Just vignettes of many of the pictures of God that are inadequate or misleading. And when you have the wrong picture of God, you're ending up not serving God. You end up serving, at, at worst, you end up serving Satan. Mm. At best, you end up misleading people and leaving them short of where they could be with the full picture of God. Or well, I'll just leave it there. Just they're, they're short of what they could be because they're not serving the incredible God who's really there. Mm, that's good. Gary, as Christians, I think that we can often fall into the problem of when we're discipling people, instead of discipling them in the way of Jesus, we can disciple them into the way of our particular theological streams. Like, for example, I'll just start with, to be fair, I'll start with my own tribe, Calvary Chapel. We, at times, I've seen guys where they went through a discipleship process in a Calvary church, and they came out of that discipleship process not necessarily excited about Jesus, but excited about premillennial dispensationalism and eschatology. And they had been discipled into mm -hmm. this way of thinking about the end times that became their focus, you know, how to read the newspaper to figure out what's going on in the future and the end times. I've seen guys who, you know, young guys discipled in a church and they come out and they're discipled in the way of Calvin, you know, Calvinism. And all they want to talk about is primarily justification, sanctification, predestination, and the sovereignty of God. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'll be honest, it's easy for me to judge others, but I know I can be guilty of the exact same thing. Someone sure. can go through a discipleship process with me, and by the end of it, what I've discipled them into is all they can talk about is whatever John Mark Comer book I've been telling them to read or whatever awesome <laughs> thing Tim Mackey said on a Bible project video or a podcast. Yeah. So I, I want to be self-aware of that. How can we do discipleship in a way where we, we're discipling people first and foremost, no matter what our emphasis is or our different theological leanings, where they're coming out of that thinking and talking and, and breathing the way of Jesus rather than our pet theological leanings? Well, two things. One is if, if I'm discipling somebody, I'm going to put my mark on them. Hmm. Uh, that's not a bad thing. But I, I need, as a discipler, I need to be constantly reminding people that this is the way I connect the dots. Mm. There are good and godly people who connect the dots in different ways, and I want you to be talking to them too. I'll try to summarize what they say, but go down the hill and talk to this guy, Aaron Salvato, because he has a different picture on things. And I think that's the key is when you have people coming from different theological traditions, different experiential traditions, and spend time with them. But you're gonna be discipled by somebody you resonate with. Mm. And I think that's absolutely legitimate to be marked deeply by one godly person, but get some input from others mm -hmm. too. Because we will follow one person, but we must not end up saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, yeah. I am of John Calvin, I am of Jacob Arminius, I am of, you know, John MacArthur, I'm of John Piper, you know. All the Johns. Yeah, all the Johns. <laughs> or I'm of, you know, Beth Moore, I am of Beth Moore, I am of Amy Peeler, I am of, you know, there are godly women who disciple too. And I've been discipled by some amazing women. Mm. And so, and, and actually I think it's helpful to get serious input from somebody from a different gender. We think of men pastoring women, but we don't often think of women pastoring men. Mm. I have been touched deeply by some godly women. Catherine Kuhn, who was a former student, founded Hope Alive Africa in Uganda. And she's helped me enormously put things together as we've done life together. Mm. She's a deep friend and long time. 
lived down in California now. I've been in Uganda for a long time. Mm. Yeah, that man, that's that right there. What you just said that that's going to be a, a triggering statement for many of our listeners here in the Calvary Tribe. I I think well, be triggered. It's now be careful about stuff. You know, don't get <laughs> romantic about things. Right. But women women can absolutely have powerful impact in men. Yeah. Look at Mary and what she's doing in Acts chapter one. Right. She's having a quite an impact on the people around her. No, I, I mean that that is. I think you're you're getting into something very deep there because I think yeah. when we think of the term pastoring, a lot of times we connect it to like who is the senior pastor of this church? You know, yeah, yeah. who is the let's board not, of elders? Let's not go there. I've got a whole <laughs> huge conversation coming up that in exiles yeah. in Babylon here. Complementarian, egalitarian. But yeah. when, when I was a, when I was a youth pastor and I had my small group leaders, you know, I had male small group leaders and I had female small group leaders. And I tried to tell mm-hmm. them like what we are doing, not just what I am doing as the hired on staff pastor, but what we are doing is we are shepherding people. And I want yeah. you to shepherd the flock that is among you. And so, yeah, I've, I've realized like, yeah, there, there've been some very godly women in my life that have at different times shepherded me. Like my, yeah. my mother, like she, she shepherded yeah. me she, in different ways. She still does by her example. Exactly. So yeah, that. And I can, as I believe, I think elders are married men. So I'm not going to have Catherine Kuhn as an elder in my church, but to be somebody who's shaping my life because she's a godly human being yeah. and a woman. Yeah. Absolutely. Amen to that. So let me touch back on that whole, I am not of Paul. I am not of Apollo yep. situation because how, how can we avoid that? Because that has been, it, it, it can just be such a problem. Like, I mean, I, the, the famous stereotype right now is John MacArthurites. You know, it's just everybody who kind of comes through that system ends up looking and sounding and talking and believing exactly like him and kind of elevating him to this status. But I mean, boy, have we done that with Chuck Smith and Calvary Chapel. And I, I'm a third generation and, Calvary guy, so I don't have the romanticized yeah. connection to Chuck, but I can, I can. I can appreciate if it wasn't for Chuck, I wouldn't be here. I probably wouldn't exist. I probably wouldn't be born because my parents probably wouldn't have met through the Bible college. I wouldn't know my wife. My son wouldn't be here. And, and, and Chuck has blessed and impacted my life in so many ways. But you know, someone like me, I mean, I, I sometimes get in groups on Facebook and I'm with people who are like, you know, Oh, you know, forget John MacArthur. He doesn't know what he's talking about, but like Tim Mackey, like that guy, he knows it all. And, and I think Tim would be the first to say like, don't do not do that. Like, I do not want you to do that with me. Like I never, (laughs) I never wanted to become the guru that everybody looks at and says, Oh, he must have, I mean, literally there's a Facebook group I'm a part of called the Tim Mackey discussion group. And Oh, I am too. Yeah, you're in there. And like 90% of the posts are like, what do you think Tim would say about this specific question? And then instead of Tim answering, it's just everybody assuming what Tim would probably say. And so how do we we avoid that? And I can tell you for sure that at least half the time they're (laughs) seriously wrong. Oh man, how do we how do we avoid that? How how do we balance appreciating our teachers and our mentors, but not becoming disciples primarily of them, but becoming disciples of Jesus by being involved in discipleship groups that are larger than single person mm-hmm. type things, mm-hmm. and that's where you know I'm a part of Grace Community Church in Gresham. I that's a key church for me, but I need to be hanging out with larger groups. So here in Portland, there's a group we just call it the Least Palau Group. And it's a group of churches of various denominations that get together for pastoral type things and event things. We've got a big thing down on the waterfront park coming up. 
this summer, and you're, you're part of things that are bigger than a single church or a single individual, and you're doing it together. Mm. So the larger church thing in our Cal, where you live in East Multnomah County here, and we've got all the way from full-on Pentecostal to Church of Christ, we, uh, fairly fundamentalist, that get together and do things together, serving our city and such, mm. and doing those kinds of things where you're, you're actually friends with somebody from different theological traditions is the way to minimize the impact of becoming, I am of Tim Mackey, or I'm <laughs> of John MacArthur, or I'm of John Piper, or I am of Amy Peeler, or whatever. Yeah, that's so good. That that resonates. That, that's been mm-hmm. a process God has been bringing me through personally. You know, I grew up at one church my whole life. Beautiful church. My dad pastored it. Fantastic church. I, I love it. I'd love going back to visit. Coming out here, when we moved to Oklahoma, my first thought was like, well, guess we should just find the local Calvary Chapel and join it. And God said, no, actually, I want to I want to stretch you a little bit. And so he put us in a church called Frontline, which is a part of the Acts 29 network and is actually a reformed mm-hmm. church. And, you know, the crazy thing about it is I've been at this church for four years. I am still very decidedly not a five-point Calvinist or, or anyone who had identified as a Calvinist in any way. What I've seen from this church has just been so much beauty because they're all about Jesus and they're all about the kingdom. Yeah. They don't preach yeah. Piper or Calvin from the pulpit. They preach Jesus. And they've been so gracious to me to just allow me to be a part of things and involved in things, even though they know that I'm not on board with 100% of their, you know, soteriology, they've they've embraced me in a lot of beautiful ways that have been so encouraging. And I've, I've, I just see, I see that in your cohort, you're bringing people together from all across the spectrum and saying, let's work through these differences and realize that we're actually all on the same team. And I love that. Well, let's begin first with the things we agree on. Mm -hmm. And let's major on the things we agree on. And then from that perspective, let's talk respectfully about things we disagree on. Mm. Otherwise you end up fighting and differentiating and dividing. Mm. Uh, Let's think about things we agree on as we're together and relish those things and delve deeply into those kinds of things. Mm. And then from that perspective, we can have some fun. Otherwise you end up in just foolish controversies and scripture warns us regularly against those foolish controversies. (laughs) They just end up in criticism and critique. Yeah, it's like when we make the the thing that is not the main thing, the main thing, everything gets out of yeah. balance. I love getting together with somebody who is of a different mindset from me and to mm-hmm. be at, to have a conversation with them and be like, "Hey, we love each other and we're brothers." Even though we come to different conclusions about some of these things, ultimately like yep. we are walking together. I've got I've got some yep. super deep friendships with guys that are like as far Calvinist as you can possibly go. And I love the respect that we have for one another. And it's like, man, when I talk to you, bro, I get, I, I get filled with such a sense of, of the wonder of God's sovereignty, even though I don't necessarily completely line up with you on what I think sovereignty actually means, the respect you have for God, it, it's, it's, contagious and they'll tell me like bro when i'm with you like you help me get out of some of the more crusty you know just <laughs> harshness and, and i i see yeah. that sensitivity of that yeah. other side of god's heart that is compassionate and and i love that we can sharpen each other in that way and not have to be like well unless you adopt my stance on everything i'm not gonna serve with you or walk with you or try to reach people right. for jesus with you it it's just been a beautiful thing in my life that i i'm really thankful for Yep. And I'm thankful for you for modeling that for so many people. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
When I came to Portland 42 years ago, the first thing I did, there's a school in town at that point called Western Evangelical Seminary. Mm. And at that point, we were Western Conservative Baptist Seminary. Mm. And so early on, I called the theology professor at Western Evangelical Seminary and said, hey, could I buy lunch for you? And he's first surprised he got a call from Western Conservative Baptist Seminary, and he's really surprised he's willing to buy his lunch, but he agreed to it. <laughs> and we went down and had lunch at a restaurant halfway between us and became friends. Now he's Wesley Arminian uh, holiness guy, hmm. and I'm a, at that point a strong Calvinist Baptist guy. <laughs> and okay, help me understand what you're talking about. And we became friends and I realized that a lot of things I've been told about Wesleyan Arminianism was wrong. Mm, yeah. And I also thought he made me think about, huh, and uh, that w those kinds of conversations. But somebody has to initiate to actually call the guy, the pastor from the church down the street or the, the person from and just say, hey, could we grab, grab some lunch and talk about life? That's so, that's so key. Like if you're, if, if you're going to understand another person, you can either hear it from other people and what they think about them or assume about them secondhand, or you can sit face to face and say, what do you yep. actually believe? What do you actually yep. think? And, and the goal is to understand so I can repeat back my friend's view in my words and you can say, yep, you get me. Mm. Before I say, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard. <laughs> it's good. Stay out of the critique land, stay in the understanding land. Right. I. And that just, it's just a methodology because I may not end up agreeing, mm. but I want to understand what you're doing and why you come there. Yeah. And then we have a basis for relationship and friendship and serving the kingdom together. Yeah. I love how you've modeled that principle of like, you know, understand from the horse's mouth, like what people actually yep. believe. I've been trying to employ that just in my conversations with Christians that are kind of going through the deconstruction and you know the 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 slip and the drift to more progressivism it's like i can listen to podcasts where people are critiquing that and saying this is what those christians are you know the reason they're doing that is cuz they just want to sin you know they they're just going that way cuz all they just want to sin and they just don't care <laughs> about god and they've always wanted to sin and you know they and then i actually yeah. sit down and talk with some of the people going through this and they're like I was clinging to my faith for years like with tears trying to hold on to Jesus, trying to hold on to his way. And just over time, the thread just kept pulling and pulling and I resisted, but finally I had to give it up because my house of cards fell. And it's like, they're still upset about it. They're like, I would love a way back to God, but I don't understand yeah. him anymore. And so, yeah. yeah, it's just, it's like when you, when you treat people as humans and not just projects or, or, or statistics to be analyzed, but when you treat them as actual people, I think that's when God opens up the door for us to minister to them. Yep. Hmm. Yep. Best possible thing ever. Hmm. Let me ask you this. You, I know, I know that you have even taught seminary classes together with professors who hold opposite views of you on things. How, oh, absolutely. How has that been? How did that come about and, and how have you navigated that? Oh, it's really fun. <laughs> One of the classes that I do fairly regularly is with Todd Miles, who's a staunch Calvinist, and we do a class together on prayer and providence. Mm. And I'm a, I'm a Calvinian. I think God's a Calvinist some of the time, but most of the time he's not. <laughs> and it can get, we both get pretty passionate about things because we actually interpret things from very different perspectives. Mm. 
So last time we dealt with this, well, two times ago, we dealt with this class. I had just been diagnosed with melanoma, a very aggressive skin cancer. Yeah. And uh, last time we did it, his wife, Todd's wife, Camille, was dealing with colon cancer, and they had some key decisions around that. How do you, how do you deal with God and cancer? And we have different ways of doing about it. And we can get pretty testy about some of the kind of things, but doing yeah. it together, private conversation as well as in class, helps us understand, okay, I, I don't think your way of connecting dots right, but I see that you're doing it with absolute commitment to follow Jesus no matter where that leads. That's the goal. And, and Todd and I are deep friends. We love each other and we disagree on some things and can get pretty feisty about things. Mm. This last time we did it when we were dealing with Camille's colon cancer, he came and said, Gary, I don't think we probably should talk about that in class. I said, what? How come, Todd? He says, I get pretty feisty about it. I said, exactly. Mm. That's why we have to do it because life has got to be real. It can't be sanitized and put on an edited video. Mm. We got to live life the way it is. Mm and uh, let our students see it live. And that was incredibly effective class mm. just because it was so real. I love that. That's And he's still wrong. <laughs> that's beautiful. <laughs> that's beautiful. And he'd aptly say the same about me. Right. And that that's the beauty of it. Like we, we can, we can be siblings that, yeah. you know, have different understandings of the nuances of what dad said, but we're still family. Yeah. Mm. And we, we would agree on 90% of what we'd say in the area of Providence, but we rather passionately disagree on some of those things. Yeah. it's hmm. good. Man, what a great episode. Gary has so much wisdom. He is so encouraging. He's like a spiritual grandpa to so many of us. And I hope you've enjoyed hearing from him and his heart. And I know that you're going to love episode two when it comes out. In the next episode, we're going to dive into some really complex questions about if all Christians have the Holy Spirit, why is there so much division in the church? We're going to talk about the dangers of theology when it's used incorrectly. And we're also going to ask the question, how do we help deconstructing Christians? All that is coming up next on the next episode of the Good Line Podcast. We hope this episode has encouraged and challenged you to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Our goal and heart for the show is to always be pointing you to the God who is not safe but who is very, very good. If you enjoyed this show, we would so appreciate it if you would leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast app of choice. The more reviews we get, the more people are able to find the show. So please leave a review. It helps so much. The Good Line Podcast is produced by myself, Aaron Salvato, and my co-host, Brian Higgins, and we are a part of CGN Media. For more great content, visit cgnmedia.org. For more from Good Lion Ministries, you can also find tons of podcasts, resources, courses, and more at our ministries website, goodlion.org. If you'd like to support the work that we do, please visit goodlion.org support. With your help, we can continue pointing people to Jesus and providing thought-provoking resources for the church. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this episode helped you on your journey of following Jesus. And until next time, keep your eyes fixed on him. Thank you.